This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking entrepreneurship. One of the more common recurring themes that I've noticed among friends who work in tech at all levels is that many of them are working on a side project or or two uh, that they're passionate about in the evenings and on weekends, in addition to their day job that currently pays the bills. And I've also noticed how rare it is for any of them to venture out and actually pursue that passion project full time, making their side thing their main thing. But today... I'm going to be speaking with someone who's successfully done just that. Calvin is the founder and CEO of Freeman Capital, a fintech startup that's working to bring financial planning to those who are not rich already. And he's also a fellow Aggie. So needless to say, I'm a bit biased here in saying that I'm a fan of what he and the team at Freeman are doing, but you're going to love it too. So with that brief introduction, welcome Calvin Williams to the Tech Money Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, Malcolm. I'm happy to be here, brother. No, thank you for agreeing to do this, man. Why don't you introduce yourself a little more fully? I, I ran through it pretty quickly, but I know you've got a number of accomplishments you want to get on the record. <laughs> yeah, so I probably won't go too deep onto that, but I am from Maryland and I was recruited at a super young age at 17 to build top secret computer programs for the Department of Defense. And then after several years of being in someone's basement, I realized that the work is cool, but it would be nice to kind of get out and see some sunlight. Uh, And so when I was in college, I parlayed that into my next business, which was uh, a web development studio. And at that time, we were building stuff for for celebrities, um, for universities and for governments as well. And really, uh, I was able to buy my first house at 20 and felt like I was on top of the world. Couldn't tell me nothing. (laughs) <laughs> Until I sold my business and wanted to find a wealth manager and quickly found out that I was still broke because I didn't have a million bucks. That is what triggered me to go down this road to build Freeman Capital. Well, we're going to we're going to dig into the Freeman story a little bit deeper, obviously, in a moment. But one of the things that jumps out to me is the fact that in, in launching this career as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you already had a career that was going well, 
right? By, by all intents and purposes, like you were on a pretty good track to success, working a corporate job, climbing the ladder, the way it's quote unquote, supposed to be done. And for some reason you decided to make a hard left turn and go in a bit different direction and kind of give up the security, if you will, of kind of knowing what the path is and doing the right thing, if you will. That's what I want to start on. Cause as I, as I mentioned in the intro, a lot of times people have a really great idea, but they don't necessarily do anything about that idea because it's really tough to give up that security, especially after, you know, you've got a spouse, you've got a kid or two, so on and so on. And so, you know, why don't you walk us through just what you were doing prior to deciding to launch this firm? Yeah. And it's really a crazy story when you think about it. I was, as you said, on the right path before I was even 30, I was a director uh, at Lincoln Financial uh, setting up and running their project management office to help deploy digital uh, products and capabilities to the whole enterprise. So in many ways, that's like freaking great. Mama, I made it. Exactly, exactly. Which I had had several of those conversations with Mama about how I wanted to jump ship <laughs> because in I had a good job, life was good, making good money. And the thing was, though, that I had this itch that I really wanted to work on this problem. Like, I just knew that there was something else that I could do. And security is a is like a funny thing. I mean, I grew up, I, I saw the dot-com boom. I saw globalization. I've seen government shutdowns. And so for me, security really means how much control do I have? Because I didn't, huh. didn't want to leave my future in the hands of someone else. There there was a moment earlier in my career when I had a boss who kind of had a bit of a temper and I and I was being blamed for something and he threatened to fire me. This was my first job after I sold my company. So I hadn't worked for anyone really since then. When that happened, I sat there and realized like this guy, if he wants to, he can fire me. And then mm -hmm. I have no money, no income. As soon as that happened, I never put and he didn't fire me. I went on and got like promoted. But still, that that motivation never left left me. And so I don't find security in any company because I know that at the end of the day, some manager, some high level person can just sell off my whole division. It happens mm -hmm. every day. So it's super ironic is I, I was at a conference last year. And somebody walked past me with a T-shirt on that said entrepreneurship is the new job security. I was like mm. blown away by how deep that was. But I am also a person who, since I was probably like eight or 10 or something, had thought that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what the word was for it at the time. Like I thought tycoon was probably the word that I would have used at eight or 10 or whatever, because that's what Scrooge McDuck was to me. That to me, that was like it. It struck a nerve because. I completely understand and identify with that thought process that unless you own your future, you know, you're always kind of up against someone else's whims. But had you always thought you would be an entrepreneur then? I was very fortunate to where my parents tried early on to expose me to entrepreneurship, whether it was my first lawn care business as like a preteen to when I started to build websites for contractors of government agencies or churches. So I had 
I had started early with developing the muscle that is entrepreneurship. As a result, it's something that's always stuck with me as a possible way. If I want to get something and my income will not let me, then my thought is, how do I get more income? And that mm -hmm. is an entrepreneurship mindset. Back to your previous comment, too, that there is a great blessing in W-2 income, in that job income, because it's, to me, it was seed capital to get Freeman going. So I just want to be very clear that I'm not against working for other people. I, I just think that when it comes to, to security, no one is responsible for that but you. And that was something that was implanted in me early on with a desire and ambition to be an entrepreneur. That's a really good point. I'm glad you you pointed that out. The fact that the entrepreneur's journey is not for everyone. I know that especially in the culture that we're in right now, everyone always wants to make a big deal out of the 30 under 30 and the 40 under 40. And these people just raised X amount of dollars from this VC and are doing all these great things. And if you're not the CEO of a multi-billion dollar firm that just IPO'd, you're not doing anything with your life. And that's the way I feel like the media and, and social media have kind of pushed that to people, especially younger people. So I'm glad you mentioned that, that it's not for everybody, right? Like there's nothing wrong with wanting the security of knowing where your next paycheck is going to come from because racking your brain trying to make payroll is its own beast to, to, to sort of fight with on the 1st and 15th of every month. While you were working as a director, and sort of climbing that ladder again, as I said, had you been doing anything in the background at all to prepare yourself for the eventual jump? Since I've been doing entrepreneurship for so many years, I have realized that a, that a business will only go as far of the leader's personal self-development will take them. The hmm. work that I've been working on the most is how do I develop myself as a leader? Because I realized in my first company, we didn't go as far as we could have because my ego was still big. I wanted my name to be on everything. I wanted to be the man and all of that jazz. And that alienates people. Hmm. My flaws stop previous businesses from being more successful. So when I was preparing to go into this business, I was really doing a inventory of myself to figure out how can I be a better human being and be a better servant leader so that people will want to come and help me build something massive. And, and that to me is the most important work you can do because if you don't know how to build a website or how to do a, a performer or what have you, but you know how to build teams and make people feel valued and motivated, you'll get to where you want to get to. That's a pretty heavy one. When they say your, your attitude is more important than your aptitude, I guess is the way to sum that one up. That was, that was pretty, mm -hmm. pretty deep. I did not expect that. <laughs> did not expect that response. <laughs> Come on, um, brother. Hey, I, I thought, you know, I thought I was going to get, I'm an engineer. So I was working on flexing this muscle and learning Python. Cause I didn't learn that at A&T or like, I, I, I thought I was going to get some real technical answers. So I Man, appreciate you for kind of taking bro. us around the world. Nah, bro. It doesn't matter. So you mentioned that you had to get your mind right, right? To make that that leap and kind of make sure that you were prepared to be the leader that the people needed at the time. But let's talk about the finances of it for a second. Had you managed to save up anything prior to the launch or were you immediately on the ramen noodle diet? What's really interesting is because I've been on, uh, it wasn't ramen noodles. It was even worse. It was <laughs> syrup and rice. 
because I was on the serpent rice diet with my first business during a really hard time, I learned a lot. That time, I was just trying to, I was straight foot to mouth. Like, how do I get a client, eat, get a client, eat? And because I couldn't cook, I still can't cook that well, but I, I'm gonna fix that in 2021. I just used what I could and I would like put syrup and rice. It was horrible. Having that, that scarring moment, this time I, I was able to take my income from my job and basically cut my expenses in half. What ended up virtually happening was that I funded over a hundred grand into my business over hmm. the course of about a, a, a of over the course of a couple of years because I basically cut all my living expenses in half. My first check would go to pay for my life. My second check would go and like help grow the business because in the beginning, no one's gonna not no one but most of the time, no one's gonna invest in just your idea. You you have to show them something. Me being my own investor by downgrading my lifestyle and putting half of my income with the baby, with a wife, and I was the only one working at that time, that then enabled me to, to get enough traction so that I, I can take the next step to get funding to get to the next step. See, I think, you know, you said not no one, but I think it is safe to say no one in this particular instance. <laughs> and so for folks who don't know who you are and we can't see you because we're in radio land, right? Yeah. You're a black man and black founders almost never have that friends and family round to go to that everyone else does. So I guess I can't even say everyone else, because generally when you think of the founder of a startup, you're thinking about a 23 year old white guy who just graduated from Stanford or Harvard. Right. And those yeah. guys can go to do the friends and family round and come up with half a million dollars uh, in a heartbeat. Right. And so I just want to yep. make sure that we're being specific and calling a thing a thing, because when you talk about a female founder, a black founder, a person of color, anybody who's not the 23 year old white guy in the hoodie who resembles Mark Zuckerberg, it's a bear trying to come up with that first 50 to $100,000 to pursue your big idea. So you're right that you've got to have some some capital of your own, some access to capital of your own to get started. Otherwise, it's going to be a very short runway. And if you can't prove that concept in the blink of an eye, you're going to be in trouble. So I'm glad you kind of gave us the real numbers behind how much you had to save of your own and how much you personally invested in this thing, because we don't we can't just assume that everybody has mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or the neighbor across the street to stroke a check and forget all about it till, you know, all of a sudden Facebook IPOs and you go, wait a minute, I'm a billionaire. Like everybody doesn't have that right story to, mm -hmm. to expect. So I just, you know, I don't want to belabor the point, but I just wanted to make sure that I, I threw that in there because it does matter of all the things to build a startup around. Why FinTech? You, you initially alluded to the story of, you know, you exited from the company, you had some cash in your pocket and you kind of got snubbed or you got the Heisman, as we say. But beyond that, like why FinTech? When I was finishing up my first business, the web platform, I wanted to find a way to help people because we were helping people build websites and grow their business. But I had a map up of the world at my old office it just didn't feel like I was making a big enough impact in the world. And then when I looked at 
the situation that's within our country, especially around the wealth gap. And then I looked at the narrative of black wealth being so negative with my positive experience of going to North Carolina A&T, as you said, Aggie pride, <laughs> and being surrounded by all that black excellence. And I saw my peers doing so well. I realized there was a gap in the perception of black wealth. When I started there and then I saw the macro trends of how people of color are going to be the largest groups in the U.S. population. And then I saw how finance underpins everything. We might not like to think about it that that way, but it does. Like if you if you're sick and you go right to the doctor because you have a great plan, it's because your finances let you do that. If you want to go to college or get a certification and you can just do it without even like getting a loan, finances let you do that. If you want to eat better so that your body is is better. If you want to eat all or you know organic, you know fresh from the farm, finances help you do that. So the way that I thought about it is that the best way to help our community live better live longer, have a better quality of life is through finances. So if we can help people build wealth, then they can use that wealth to have a better life. And so really that was the motivation. And then it just resulted in the fact that financial technology was the sector. And then that the product was financial planning because there's no one focused on building black wealth, but Freeman Capital. Interestingly, I mean, you know, when you, when you think about through the lens of a, a person who's planning to launch something, somebody who's looking to start an idea and you want to draw out your big, hairy, audacious goal as, as they term it, right? Your BHAG. There's almost no bigger audacious goal than saying, I want to close the wealth gap, right? Like that's just, I mean, nonsense, right? Like somebody says to me, I want to close the wealth gap. I, as a financial planner, I've seen, the gap itself. And I've, I've dealt with enough people personally to say, that's just nonsense. Like you're never going to be able to do that. Right. From the perspective of the naysayer, it's very easy to look at what you're trying to do and go, that's, that's just, that's impossible. The gap is so wide and so vast. And there's so many things in place that, that make sure that it persists. Like you guys are never going to be able to do it for the, the, the naysayers to that. Right. And I'm not, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Right. No, I I love this conversation, please. (laughs) There's a ton of, you know, fintech firms out there. There's there's the folks that help you trade. There's the folks that help you get smarter about your money. There's all of those pieces out there already. What makes Freeman different? I want to first make sure that we frame this wealth gap thing from the perspective, from a shared perspective. Sure. Set me straight. When I look at it, (laughs) when... When when I look at what black people have done for the last 400 years, everything we have done, someone said was impossible from slavery to now to getting a black president as early as we did. Like like every one of these things is always impossible until we do it now. Going back to the perspective of what you saw and I saw at A&T and even my, my, even my own personal family, right? The wealth gap is formed because of two main things. Because of the gap that is formed when wealth is passed from one generation to another, and then the gap that is formed when wealth is being built 
while someone is living. And so when you look at the problem from that lens, you can now work to, to solve it directly. You and I both know people who came from situations where they were not wealthy, and yet their net worth is now equal to the average wealth of white Americans, and they mm -hmm. closed their personal wealth gap. So if one person can can close their wealth gap, why can't we help thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to collectively close the wealth gap? And so that is what we're trying to do. And that that's why we look at it the way that, that we do. And I'm sorry, I forgot the second half of your question. So you got to ask that, that, that one one more time because I had to drill home. Like closing the wealth <laughs> gap is as realistic as everything else that black people have done in this country. Well, I actually am glad that you kind of took that that hard turn or not necessarily hard turn, but you drilled down on that the way you did, because it gave me the opportunity to hurt my arm for a second, patting myself on the back, because I do think <laughs> that in there, one of the pieces that doesn't get talked about enough is the information gap. Right. So there's Amen. one of the reasons for the wealth gap is the fact that just access to information isn't as readily available. You have people like myself who work for larger investment firms that manage money for people who are doing pretty well already. That information doesn't always necessarily make its way to the people who could use it a little bit more, if that makes sense. And so I think that's one of the great things and the reasons that I like doing this podcast, because you know I'm giving it away for free. Nobody had to pay to get access to sit here and listen to us have this open dialogue. So it at least means that I'm doing 2% of my part of helping to close the information gap that ultimately helps you and your team, what you're planning to do as far as closing the, the wealth gap. To the question you asked me about my question though, I just asked what makes you guys different? You got a ton mm -hmm. of other people out there that, that compete. I won't say any of them by name because they're not paying me to, but you know who they are, right? You wake up every morning thinking right. about the people you're competing against. What makes Freeman any different? The first thing is that the most of the financial planning systems have been built with the average white male in mind, the average white male's life expectancy, work history, and job growth. But we know that due to systemic racism and prejudice and disparities in our systems, we have income gaps for black people and then double for black women. And then because of health disparities, which statistically say that black people have to stop working sooner than white people because of health problems, this means that they start farther behind and then have a shorter window because the life expectancy and work expectancy is not the same. What we've done at Freeman Capital is that we have built a financial planning methodology that's built for people of color who are in a situation of being behind and having to go as quickly as possible to build wealth. Now, that doesn't mean being risky with investing in the market. You can still be conservative, but it does mean being aggressive with your own steps, like, like mm -hmm. making sure that your emergency fund is there or that your insurance things are taken care of. Everything that you needed to, to build and secure generational wealth the model has to be different because our situation is different. And that is what people get at Freeman Capital. Hmm. Interestingly enough, there's a lot of research that I've been, been seeing come across my inbox for the last two, maybe three years, where suddenly the financial planning community is waking up to the fact that you can't give the same advice to everybody and expect the outcomes to be the same. Go figure. 
So it's interesting that you say that the fact that there needs to be a differentiated service or a differentiated platform. Like, for example, you have one out there that's raised a ton of money because it was built by someone who's a former big time Merrill Lynch exec, and it's geared specifically just for women investors. And I hear her often talk about how initially people said, well, women don't invest differently. What's the point in that? It just proves out that there's still a ton of education, I think, that has to be done around the fact that one size does not fit all. With that said, I know you guys recently received quite a bit of funding from both Google and Backstage Capital because apparently somebody believes in this big, hairy, audacious goal that you have. I know the details of some of those things tends to be a little bit hush-hush, if you will, but can you tell us anything about either or both of those big announcements? Just as you stated that Google for Startups and Backstage Capital were able to make an investment in Freeman that really kicked off our fundraising round. And I'm excited and I'm going to have more news soon about us wrapping it up very, very soon. The biggest thing isn't, isn't really the money, which is very important, but the biggest thing is the validation and the, and the stamp of approval. Because when you talk about black people raising venture funds, less than 2% of venture funds in the nation go to a person of color. And that is up from last year, where it was 1%. I guess that's a step forward. <laughs> and, I mean, that's a, and, 2X, so, that's a 2X increase. <laughs> it's a 2X increase. It was for like, probably like five more people. Sorry, that's a bad joke, but it's probably true. The biggest thing is that when I can now go to other VCs and say, hey, you don't like someone else has already taken a deep dive on us and they believe in us. Now it it opens up doors and really back to your access conversation. That is what founders of colors need is that they need an opportunity to just show how great they are. They know they're great. They are great. I believe in them. You know, a whole bunch of startups that are great. The challenge is getting other people to look past bias, to take a chance to have a meeting so that they can look at the opportunity and not just be like, oh, this deal didn't come through a personal referral. Well, yeah, it's not going to come through a personal referral. The network is different. But when I can send a cold email and say, hey, Google and Backstage invested in me, it then gives me a response. And that gives me a chance to show who we are. That makes a ton of sense. Smart money follows smart money, right? Quote unquote smart money, because who the heck knows what's what's going to be the next decacorn. So what's been the most surprising part, if you will, of your entrepreneur journey thus far? I would say that the most surprising part of the journey has been my understanding of how much I have to rely on other people. Hmm. You know, we all go into this entrepreneurship thing like, oh, I'm going to be my own boss, do yada, yada, yada. But really, I am... I'm not really the boss. Like the customers are my boss and I have investors. They're kind of a boss. And then my team members, if I want them to, to execute and be great, I have to help them out, clear their blockers, give them what they need. So they're telling me what to do to, to a degree. To build successful businesses that are driven by high-performing teams, the thing that has surprised me the most is just how critical servant leadership is. 
putting egos all the way on the back burner and focusing how can I give my team, my customers, my investors what they need to win. I didn't mm -hmm. expect that to be as big of a deal as it's turning out to be. I'm sure plenty of our listeners are currently working on their own ideas, you know, on the side, probably trying to figure out ways to they're secretly wishing they could make their their main their side thing their main thing, I guess, to keep keep using that that analogy I teed up. What advice would you have for those folks going back to to where you were as a director of a pretty large organization looking to make a leap like that? What advice would you give the person who's listening to this and, and trying to figure out whether they should actually pursue it or not? This is probably going to be the most contrarian advice ever is do not leave your job. The thing is that there is a big push to like, oh, get out here and do it full time, yada, yada, yada. But there's so much risk that you're taking. As soon as you leave that job, what do you do for health care? For us who have families, that's a big deal. What I would say is find a way to focus on building an organization while you're at work. Because a lot of people are entrepreneurs, which means that you're running a business, but they might just be a sole proprietor, which means that you're doing the business. If you're a business owner or a business executive, you can work on the business without working in the business. And so the advantage, you have to see the situation of an advantage of trying to leave your a day job to go to and do it full time is that you can focus on building a system and a process and a structure so that your business will operate while you're going and working on your day job because the end goal is to have a business that will generate revenue with you not doing anything so start there how can i design my business to run while i go to my nine to five now you go from one income stream to two income streams and mm -hmm. then when you leave you're leaving and and you aren't going to your business struggling how are are, are you going to do it you're going to the business like well how can i just make it grow more because it's already running so the biggest thing that i would just say is that there's just a lot of hype that is around entrepreneurship which is really just to get folks to spend money like to buy a program or do whatever but like really mm. just just to think about how can i run an enterprise while i'm on my day job that's that's awesome. So it, if I understand you correctly, to put a button on it, it sounds like you're saying do not leave until you absolutely have to. Until you app until you're forced to leave, because think about like the goal is to have multiple streams of income that that W2 check is is a stream of income. You should. So the way that I would do it over is like, how do I set up my business so that at the end of the day, a team member is sending me a, a report of how the business did? And I can see what our revenue was, what our customers were, all those key numbers. Like that should be the goal to get to that level mm -hmm. to where your business is literally running as a business. If you just want to be a sole proprietor and just do and and just be a a practitioner, that's that's cool. But that's not running a business. That's just being mm -hmm. a sole proprietor. What do you want? And then start that right now. I can't believe we're running up against the end of of this episode, man, this has been, uh, this has been fun. I, these are questions, you know, I, I probably had never thought to, to ask anybody in an open, 
you know, format like this in the past. But the question I always like to end the show with to to kind of get your brain juices flowing. Don't get don't get nervous. I promise it's an easy one. <laughs> if you never launched Freeman, take this success that you're having out of the equation, but money wasn't a factor in your decision at all. What do you think you'd be doing right now? If you would have asked me that in my 20s, I would have probably tried to be a professional snowboarder. I always wanted to snowboard as like a teenager, but black people didn't do that. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't try. That's then. And now, because my son likes racing and he got me into Formula One, if money was not an object and I could do whatever, I I would be like Lewis Hamilton, who is the first and only black uh, driver in the world. And he's now like the greatest in the world in terms of stats. I, I would try and be a Formula One driver and drive like 200 miles per hour and travel the world a different country for every week. I'm glad that money is not a factor because that's a super expensive life insurance policy you're going to have to buy what? Uh, going into Huge. that uh, <laughs> going into that career. Well, thanks, man. This was this was absolutely great. Where can people find you if they want more Calvin after this? The best place is at freemancapital.co and there, just for your listeners as well, that we will do a thing where they can have a free consultation with a member of our team just to figure out if planning works for them, if they want. Freemancapital.co is the best place. And if you want to get to me personally, then I'm always on LinkedIn, Calvin Williams Jr. All right, guys, this is fantastic. This is Eric back in the studio. Of course, I'm going to close out the show, but I want to give a special thank you to Calvin for being a great guest. Malcolm, of course, thank you for providing that guest, bringing him on the show. And of course, last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thanks for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening. For everyone at Tech Money, Our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by top advisor marketing, Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation.
This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Um...